Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Today's show is brought to you by us, the Choose Yourself Network. One of the most common questions covered on that podcast and by our guests is about self-publishing. James has written a lot on the topic and sold hundreds of thousands of books by leaving the traditional publishers behind. It takes a little guts to take on that risk, but James has narrowed all of the secrets of self-publishing your own bestseller into a single checklist. You can get it at www.jamesaltucher.com bestseller. If you're thinking about writing or just want to publish your own ideas, it's a must-read. Check it out today at jamesaltucher.com slash bestsellers and download your free guide. That's jamesaltucher.com backslash bestseller, B-E-S-T-S-E-L-L-E-R. Thanks for listening, and now here's today's show. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I have Jim Quick with me. Jim is a world memory expert. Jim, how do you describe yourself, actually? Um, a lot of people, James, call me uh, a brain coach. So you know, I A brain help- coach. Brain coach. Helping people, you know, your brain doesn't come with an owner's manual. Kind of show people how to use it so they could, so they could optimize it and, and be more productive and, and more powerful every day. Well, I was, um, I forget whether I was reading or listening to something Stephen Kotler was saying. So Stephen um, wrote the book, The Rise of Superman. He also co-wrote Bold and I think he might have co-wrote Abundance. I forget, but he's, he's been twice on my podcast and he referred to you as after he wrote The Rise of Superman, he referred to you as literally a superhero. And <laughs> I've seen you speak recently and you even said, uh, what if you were born with superpowers, but nobody showed you how to use them? And your premise is you could start to show people how to use their superpowers. And you even had some, you even have in your origin story, it almost sounds like a superhero origin story. And you've even spent some time with quote unquote superheroes. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in, in a bit. But I wanted to start off just like with this kind of like what happened to you when you when you were younger that got you on this path of figuring out how to accelerate your your brain performance and learning and so on sure sure so my uh my inspiration you know came from a lot of a lot of desperation um you know when people see me on stage they'll see me do these demonstrations where I'll you know memorize a room full of people's names or long numbers or a hundred different words uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt can I ask you specifically about that Sure, absolutely. So, so what's like the most amazing thing you've done on stage? <laughs> I mean, I do. I mean, I do these kind of things. I, I don't. I don't 
I mean, I memorize, you know, I'll, I'll memorize a hundred people's names, you know, live and have them stand up. I'll, I'll do people shout out a hundred different digits, you know, numbers and write them down on a blackboard behind me and I'll recite them forwards and back and, you know, random words, you know, 50, 60, a hundred, you know, but I, I don't, I don't really do it to impress people. I really do to express people what's possible because, you know, everyone could do these things. It's just, you know, we weren't, we were not taught how. And I, in fact, I think we're, instead, we were taught a lie. We were taught a lie that our intelligence or our potential, our learning, our, our, our memory is fixed, like our shoe size. And it's absolutely not true. And, and, so, and you know, there, there's recent research kind of showing that, like, Everybody used to think the um, myelin sheath, which is uh, the kind of connections between neurons that are the strongest in our brain, that those are formed when we're kids. But now there's recent evidence that shows even as adults, uh, we could form these strong connections between neurons with, with practice. You can. You can. Absolutely. I mean, we've discovered more about the human brain in the past 20 years than the previous 2,000 years combined you know, we know through a process called neurogenesis that we could create new brain cells until the time we die. You know, neuroplasticity, exactly what you're illustrating, is new connections between, you know, brain cells. And we could do it, you know, with the right, with new learnings, new thoughts, new behaviors create those kind of connections. And, you know, and actually, new science is actually finding that learning, lifelong learning, actually adds years to your life. And not only years to your life, but also life to your years. There was this study with these uh, super nuns. It was on the cover of Time magazine. We wanted to know how these women were living well into their 90s and above, and they found half of it had to do with their faith and their gratitude, but the other half had to do with they were lifelong learners. I mean, they were challenging their minds you know, on a daily basis, and it helped them live longer and also live better. So I, I want to I get back to that, and I want to get back to all the things, all the ways in which we can learn, but I'm, I'm – just every now and then I get, when I'm interviewing someone, I get like really curious about <laughs> specific things. Like when you were memorizing backwards and forwards numbers on stage in front of hundreds of people, do you ever get scared that you're going to like screw up? I mean, I, I do actually. I mean, because I had two big, two of my biggest challenges. Um, and I'll tell you, my, everyone, every superhero has a superhero origin story. And I think everybody's on a superhero journey. I think that, you know, the whole idea, uh, we, we do an event um, called Superhero U, Y-O-U. It's an annual conference we've done for five years. And it's kind of like saying that, you know, you don't have to wait for Superman to save you. You are Superman. You are Superwoman. It's just, you know, you need to be able to let it out. So we kind of bring the, the superheroes, modern-day superheroes, Peter Diamandis. A lot of people you've had on your show, Peter Diamandis or Ken Robinson, Stephen Kotler, te- you know, kind of teaching people how to you know, unleash the capes you know, on, on their backs. And, you know, and so what we, what we talk about when I do this is, um, you know, I actually grew up in learning challenges that stemmed from a, a accident, a really bad accident I had when I was five years old. What was the accident? I took a really bad fall in kindergarten, um, head first into, uh, into a radiator actually. Ugh. And I was knocked unconscious and I was really bleeding everywhere, stitches. And, um, you know, I just, from there, I just had these learning challenges and I didn't, and some things that everyone could relate to at some level, you know, I couldn't understand what people were saying to me all the time. It didn't register. I had really bad focus and attention. I had um, memory challenges. It took me an extra two years to learn how to read. And growing up feeling like you're broken, you feel like you don't want to really share and connect with people. And you become recluse because you're struggling and privately and, and, um, and suffering that way. And so I also... Talk about public speaking, getting nervous on stage, doing these demonstrations. I, I'm phobic of public speaking. I, I would, I would, I would work hard and and do a book report, for example, in high school. But if the teacher asked me to present it in front of a class, 
I would actually lie and said I didn't and say I didn't do it because I was so scared of speaking in front of a group of people. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of that stemmed from the challenges that I had. So even when I get on stage each time, I, I get nervous. It's not natural for me. Uh, I'm very introverted uh, myself because it's just, it's not my nature. And so I, I, I do it because I feel like I have a, you know, an obligation. I have a few ideas that I think people could benefit from, from my life experience. And I focus on them. But every time I get on stage, it's always, it's always a challenge for me. And I don't talk about it publicly, but it's one of those things that, I know, I think some people could relate to public speaking. So I know it's one of the biggest fears people have shared. Absolutely. Like I do a lot of public speaking, but you can ask my wife, Claudia, I'm always in a state of panic, like right really? before. Yeah. Like I was going to do a TEDx talk. I mean, I did do a TEDx talk a few months ago and literally like 10 minutes before I was ready to just walk out into the street and go home like 3000 <laughs> miles away. And Claudia was like, no, you have to give this talk. And so, what do you do? What do you do? To get yourself, like, what's the first, you know, few minutes before you get on stage? Do you have any kind of prep? I do. So I picture that the little James inside of me that's incredibly nervous, I picture what he looks like. And I invite him to step outside of me and I talk to him and I invite him to come on to stage with me and stand right next to me while I do the talk. But that's my way of kind of distancing myself from the fear. And I actually feel this incredible surge of energy right mm. when that happens and right when I walk out onto the stage and and it works. Uh, so I've been doing that probably now for almost two years, just about two years, and it, and it works every time. But I'm always nervous before, before the talk. Mm. So, so when you're in the middle of reciting the numbers back, like are you on, do you feel that kind of superhero surge that you know you're going to do this correctly or do you ever stop for a second and think like oh my god i think i can't remember anymore uh, my mind uh i mean after doing this for over two decades my mind really doesn't go there anymore but it's i'm, I'm very careful with uh i take a very whole self approach to learning so i don't just teach tactics i think a lot of it is mindset and that inner talk that we have those beliefs i think it's we have to really stand guard to them and monitor them, become self-aware about them. Because I think our self-talk, a lot of people brag about you know, how bad they are with names or how bad their memory is, or if they don't write their grocery lists and triplicates, they'll forget it, and or they'll forget the list in general. And they talk about it all the time. What people don't realize is that your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. And so I, I'm very careful to monitor my, my what I'm saying to myself. And, uh -huh. so, and I think it's also one of the things that keep people creative is – I think one of the things that actually constrain creativity is that squelcher inside of us, you know, that, that critic inside of us that says that they're not smart enough, they're not good enough, or that we can't handle it. And it's the biggest lie. And what our work is really about, whether it's superhero you or quick learning, is all about transcending. It's about ending the trance. This mass hypnosis done through marketing or media saying that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, you know, we're not, we don't have this power. And we, it's the difference between being a thermostat and a thermometer. Do you know, like I know a lot of, you know, this is a metaphor and I think we have these metaphors that our brain helps us to understand things through learning and we learn through metaphors. And so a lot of people, you know, you're listening to this and I know you're a thermostat because you're a thermostat and a thermometer is different, right? A thermometer is something that reacts to the environment. And, uh, and so it is, it reacts to the economy. It reacts to the weather. It reacts to, you know, another person or a client or something going on. But a thermostat is something that sets the standard. And then all of a sudden, the environment changes accordingly. And that's what leaders do. And I think, 
you know, people listening to this, they're their leaders because they're they're dedicated to lifelong improvement and they want to learn and they want to grow so they have more to be able to share. You know? Well, and, oh, and, and I want to, now you've got me on a different tangent. <laughs> I, I, I want to get back to your, your origin story because I have some questions there. But just real quickly, if let's say someone's a thermometer, because we all know many people like that and often I think the, it, people are not one or the other all the time. Sometimes I find myself sure. a thermometer. What steps can you take? Oh, I recognize I'm a thermometer. What steps can I take to become the thermostat? So I think a lot of it has to do with these meta beliefs that we have, you know, our meta thinking that we have about, about who we are. And so, I, you know, when I like to work with people, it's, you know, at the level of, there's different levels of change, right? There's these levels of who, you know, behavior, which is like, this is how you read faster, how you remember names. There's a level of competence, but there's a level, also a level of identity, and so those identity works that people could do, and whether it's through hypnosis, whether it's through um, EFT, some people are familiar with emotional freedom technique, anything to help them to be able to change the identity level, because I think that's what's going to drive people to, to, to who they are. And again, it creates their habits and it creates a lot of what their lifestyle is. So I think the big number one thing is deciding that you want to be a, a thermostat or you know, a superhero, if you will. Because everything starts there. And okay, about- so let's say I decide I, I I feel like I'm in. You know, every situation's different. Like, let's say I hang out with somebody who I'm really intimidated by. I might feel like a thermometer in that situation. What, right. what behavior can I do? And then I don't know what the emotional freedom technique is. What what's that? Um, EFT uh, was popularized a lot by friends of mine who run the uh, the Tapping Solution. It was a New York Times bestselling book, and it's where you're tapping on energy points, meridian points on your body, while you're talking about what's what's going on, how, how what you think, and where you want to go. And so that's something people could do research on. In terms of when people feel like that they're with somebody and they feel intimidated, I feel like spending time, you and I have spent a significant amount of time around you know, high achievers and these outliers. I noticed that the people who are happiest have this locus of control on the inside, right? And supposed to the outside, you know, they have a certain level of agency for themselves. And recently I got to introduce, talking about superheroes, two of my superheroes together for dinner. It was uh, Richard Branson and Stan Lee. Who oh I know gosh. you know you're a fan of Stan Lee yeah. as, as I am, and so growing up not being able to read, I actually taught myself to read by reading comic books. And Stan, you know, created the legendary comic books Iron Man and Spider Man, and you know, Avengers and X Men. When I picked up Stan, I asked him in the car, "Who's your favorite superhero?" And he says, "Iron Man." And he asked me who my favorite superhero is, and I said, "It's Spider Man." And without a without a blink, he looks at me and says. With great power comes great responsibility, right? James, like a phrase we've heard a million times, all of us have. We don't even remember where we heard it first. But, um, you know, my mind always, it, 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 it mixes things because of how growing up with these learning challenges, I start to look at things and get very skeptical and on what works. I, I reversed it. I said, it's true, Stan, that with great power comes great responsibility. And the opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power. When we take responsibility for our lot in life and where things are, our learning even, then we have the power to change things. So and whether whether your responsibilities are, you're saying take responsibility as opposed to responsibility that's been given to you, like a promotion or something like that. Exa- exactly. Responsibility where, you know, it's our ability to respond and make things happen. So the locus of the, the location of control is coming from the inside. And we always have the power. We have the power of, of what we think. We have the power of what we feel at all times. 
And I'm not saying that we're all perfect about that. I certainly am not. But the, to the degree that we're happy and we have a level of influence in our lives, the degree that we take responsibility for our thoughts, our actions, and our feelings and not be at the effect. And I know this also because growing up with these learning challenges, when I, when I got to college, I, I struggled all through school, middle school, junior high, high school. When I got to college, I, I thought I could start fresh and I wanted to prove to myself and to the world and, and make my family proud that I could do it. And I actually started doing worse because college was so much more difficult because so much responsibility was on yourself and not the teacher because you're spending less time in class, more time on your own. And I was really stressed out. I was almost ready to quit school. And a friend of mine asked to uh, said, Hey, would you like, why don't we take a break? I'm going to go home back to the West coast to, to see my family. Why don't you come with me? And I had never been to California before growing up in New York. And I, so I go and on the weekend I, I, I saw his family and they were very successful and I don't just financially successful. Yes. Beautiful home near the water and such, but they were really happy. And the father walks me around his property before dinner. And he asks a very innocent question that you ask all kids or, you know, 18 year olds. It's like how school and, Honestly, and I'm reserved and I'm shy. I, I just break down and I start crying in front of this complete stranger. And I just say, like, I tell him that, uh, you know, for 15 plus years, I've just struggled and I don't know what to do. And school's not for me and I'm ready to quit. I'm just a very slow learner. And he says, Jim, you know, why are you in school? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? And ask a new question, you get new answers. And I think questions are really key to learning. And I think a lot of people, when they learn, they don't have enough questions and they're not getting the answers. And I start to answer him. He says, stop. And he grabs a journal out from his back pocket. And I always thought that like 12 year old girls carried diaries and wrote diaries, <laughs> but he takes out a few pages and he makes me write it all down. And I've never written down my dreams or goals before. And after, I don't know how many minutes go by, I have a list of maybe 40, 50 things. And I fold it up to put it in my pocket thinking the exercise is over and he grabs it right out of my hand and he, and he starts looking at it and I'm freaking out because I just met this man and he's obviously very successful, but he's looking at my dreams and my desires, and my fantasies, if you will. And, uh, and he looks at me and says, Jim, you are, you are this close to everything on that list. And he puts his index fingers about 10 inches apart. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Give me 10 lifetimes and I can't accomplish or put a dent in that list. And he says, and he takes his fingers and he puts them right on the side of my temples right on the side near my ears, you know, insinuating that it was between those two index fingers, my brain, that's going to help me get the things on that list. And he takes me into his home, into a room that I've never seen before, James. It's You would love it. It's wall-to-wall, ceiling-to-floor, covered in books. Hmm. You know, I've never seen a library in someone's house before. And he just starts grabbing books from each shelf and he hands them to me. I start looking at the titles and their, their biographies of amazing men and women in history and some really old-school personal development books like The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill, that kind of thing, Psycho-Cybernetics. And he asked me to read one of those books a week. And I'm just thinking, are you crazy? I haven't ever finished a book cover to cover ever. I'm a horrible reader. Haven't you heard I have all this schoolwork and, uh, and I can't even keep up? And he looks me right in the eyes, James, and he says, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. And uh, it gave me shivers. I literally get right now goosebumps thinking about it. I call them truth bumps. But I, but I said, that's a nice quote. And I, I really can't do it. And then he, he takes out of his back pocket my bucket list, all those dreams and goals that I wrote down that he still had. 
And he has the audacity to read every single one out loud. What, what were some of them? I mean, these are things that I wanted. I'll tell you. I mean, these are things that when I'm 18 years old about about you know meeting this person or or or, or, or be able to get this certain house. A lot of the things, honestly, though, were things I wanted to do for my family because. You know, like a lot of families, uh, they, they work really hard. They immigrated here, had multiple jobs. And a lot of things on that list were things I wanted to do for them that they could never afford or never do for themselves. And, and when he went through that, it gave me it gave the extra leverage. I think that adult, a lot of accelerated learning has to do with motivation and the power of motivation. And that was my motivation, my family. And, and so I, I agreed to read one of those books a week. And so fast forward, I go home back to school and I have a, I'm sitting at my desk. And I have a pile, James, of books that I have to read for school and of books that I want to read that I committed to reading one a week and I want to stick to my word. So in order to do twice as much work, I just sacrifice. I don't eat. I don't sleep. I'm basically, I'm living in the library. And one night I actually fall, I actually pass out of exhaustion. I fall down a flight of stairs. I hit my head again and I wake up in the hospital two days later I'm hooked up. I wake up. I thought I died. Maybe part of me wishes that I had. And I'm hooked to these IVs. I'm down to 117 pounds. I mean, I'm just, I'm a wreck. And I just think like there has to be a better way. And I don't know what to do. And just when I had that thought, the nurse comes in with a mug of tea. And on the mug, you'd appreciate this, was a painting of a pretty iconic, you know, genius named Albert Einstein. And their quote you've heard in other iterations, basically said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And it made me think, you know, a new question, what's my problem? And I said, it's, I'm a very slow learner. And I thought, well, how do I learn how to learn faster? And I thought school. So I pick up a course bulletin, I start looking at courses, and it was filled with hundreds and hundreds of classes on what to learn, math, history, science, Spanish, but no classes on how to learn. No classes on focus, no classes on concentration, no classes on how to think, no classes on how to solve problems, no classes on how to listen, no classes on how to read faster or improve my memory. And, you know, I always thought that, you know, there's three R's in school. They say reading, writing, arithmetic. I always thought that the fourth R should have been recall because Socrates says there is no learning without remembering. And so I go on this, I put all my studies aside and say, I'm going to study this. I'm going to study anything having to do with my brain. So I want to know how my brain works so I could work my brain. And I start studying adult learning theory, multiple intelligence, anything I get my hands on, speed reading, memory. And then after about 30, 60 days, a light switch just went on. It clicked on for the very first time in my life. And I started to understand things. I started to retain things. I started to have focus and concentration and an interest in learning. And then my grades started to improve. And then with my grades improving, my life started just to improve. I started to have more free time and take care of myself and my relationships and less stress. And after that, I couldn't help but help other people after you see that kind of, because I was like, why isn't everyone taught this? And one of my very first students, I started tutoring. She was a freshman in college. She struggled with the speed reading for about seven days or so. And then all of a sudden, a light switch went on and she ended up reading 30 books in 30 days. I mean, isn't, that, isn't that incredible? Like, who does that? Like, think about the kind of books that you read. You read a book a day. And I wanted to find out not how she did it, but going back to human motivation, why she did it. And I find out that her mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer, was given 60 days to live. And the books she was reading were books to save her mother's life. Wow. And, um, and I get a call six months later from this young lady. She's crying, crying, and there are tears of joy. And I find out great news that her mother not only survived, is really starting to get better. Doctors don't know how, they don't know why, 
but they they call it a miracle. And is it because she did she apply for things she learned it, from the thirty books it, to help it, her mom? Her mother attributes it a hundred percent to the great advice she got from her daughter that uh-huh. learned it from all these books, and that's why I have such a deep appreciation for for reading now. And, and for authors and people who could take decades of experience, like, you know, and, and put it into a book. And you can sit down in a couple of days and you can download decades in the days and accelerate your learning that way through great role models. I mean, you can learn from other, I mean, they say that the, you know, an intelligent person learns from their own experience, but a wise person learns from the experience of other people. And that's why I love this podcast, right? You're sharing best practices with people and it's different. I give you a dollar, you give me a dollar, same dollar, but I share a new resource or a tool or an idea with you and you share something with me. We have these new ideas and that's, it's amazing learning. It's, well, it's the backbone of, of, of everything. Let me ask you then, when, between the time you woke up from that second injury um, and then you mentioned, you know, 30, 60 days, it was like a light switch. Uh, what books uh, do you remember reading during those 30, 60 days? Oh man, I would I would read a lot of work on Howard Gardner um, uh, about multiple intelligence theory out of Harvard, saying that you know IQ is one way to to measure intelligence, but it's not the only way, and it's not fixed. That even when you look back at school when we grew up, SATs were like math and verbal, but there's so many other areas of genius. There's besides verbal linguistic, there's musical intelligence, right? There's kinesthetic intelligence. People who can move their body athletes and martial artists, you have people who have incredible interpersonal skills like yourself. People are just amazing people, people, you know, where they could just understand and, and, and connect and have a level of charisma uh, with other, others also as well. Visual, spatial artists and, and people who are architects, if you will. There's all these levels of intelligence. But I started studying Howard Gardner's work. I started studying uh, work on you know, early uh, speed reading through you know, Evelyn Woods and traditional speed reading is more skimming and skipping words and getting the gist of things. But I want to understand, you know, processing and, and meta learning and, and all these things are out there. And I just thought that to accelerate anything, when you talk about meta thinking and meta learning, it's one of those, it's a force multiplier learning. A force multiplier is like the same level of input, but you get more output at the end and learning how to learn. It just accelerates everything in your life. And so, so for instance, have um, exploring your different multiple intelligences, a la Howard Gardner, and exploring speed reading to allow you to absorb uh, the experience of others much more quickly. What else? What else I mean, would be a force multiplier? Another, another thing is is understanding your learning styles. Like when if I ask people to write their first and last name on a piece of paper right now, if they're able to do that, and then I ask them to switch hands and write below it their first and last name with their opposite hand. Most people will find that the second time is takes longer. The quality is not quite as good. It feels a little uncomfortable, but that's learning for a lot of people. And I feel like that if a lot of people are trying to learn something with the opposite hand and they're not using their strengths because they've never built, they've never had these conscious tools to see how they learn when they're their best. And sometimes let's say you're even interested in a subject and you're going to a training or a conference and you're interested in a subject, but you're not just, you're not connecting with the way the teacher is teaching. It's like the teaching style is different than your learning style. And it's like two ships in a night passing each other and there's no connection and there's no, there's no learning. And so there's all kinds of ways, you know, brain, brain anatomy, understanding left and right brain, that your left brain's more logical words, sounds, but your right brain's more imagination, creativity, more emotion, if you will, and understanding how to be able to utilize 
both of them. Understanding even different things to, to accelerate learning is just that beyond mnemonic devices. I mean, they say no matter your age that you're listening to this to, no matter your age, background, career, diet, gender, IQ, whatever, you can improve. One third of your, your memory, for example, is genetic, it's biological, but two thirds is completely in your control. I mean, the 10 things that I would say, the 10 steps, if you will, in those specific orders to be able to maximize your learning, I'm thinking that you have direct control. Remember, we're talking about you being a, the thermostat and being responsible. You are the superhero that you've been waiting for, if you will, is we're talking about good diet, right? You are what you eat. You were talking about um, what my friend, Dr. Daniel Amen, one of the top brain doctors in the country, has done 100,000 brain scans. He says, kill the ants automatic negative thoughts, right? Your mind is a supercomputer. I remember I was preparing for running for a marathon and one of the chapters was on the psychology of running a marathon and it said this verbatim. It said, your mind is a supercomputer and your self-talk is a program that will run. So if you tell yourself you are not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you programmed your computer not to. Remember your mind. That's really interesting. I wonder, did he do studies on that? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure on, on from running marathons and peak performance and optimal high performance, if you will. But I just know that that inner critic, like we listen to other people's, you know, the people that we care about all the time. But we always realize that we have this inner talk that we have unfiltered in our mind all the time also as well. So killing ants is number two. It's like killing those automatic negative thoughts. Third thing that would improve your brain performance across the board is uh, number three is exercise. There's every single study out there saying that people who are more physically active will do better on mental acuity tests, focus, they'll better focus, they'll have better memory. Basically anything good for your heart is good for your head. The fourth thing I would say to add to the list is uh, brain nutrients. A lot of people aren't getting what they need out of their, their diet. And so supplement, and you know, we've heard all the different studies about B vitamins and fatty acids and, and what have you some herbs potentially. Number five, positive peer group. And this is a big one, a big one, is because we know that it's not just your neural networks in terms of your brain, it's also your social networks that are going to determine how smart you are because who you spend time with is who you become, right? And so are you spending time with people that encourage you, that challenge you, that you learn from? And so be careful of the people you spend time with. You know, it's so funny because I really like just staying at home and reading and writing. But I know that what you say here is, is totally true. So I, I almost force myself to get out of the house when, whenever there's something interesting happening or something that I'm invited to. So this week, I just went out to San Francisco. I just got back late last night and I visited the headquarters of Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn and just tried to learn everything I could about what's <laughs> going on and the inner workings of these companies that are changing the world. And again, it was something... It was something that I I really at first did not want to do. Like I was regretting. I was like not looking forward to it. I was scared. But then when I did it, it was such a great thing. And I had to change my mentality. I had to go from, I kept saying, oh gosh, I have to get on a plane tomorrow to changing my language to, boy, I get to go to San Francisco tomorrow and do all these things. And it was just a matter Ooh. of kind of changing that um, I have to, to I get to, which Ooh, really made all like the difference that. to me. Oh, I like that. Turn your I got to, to I get to. Yeah. That's, I, I, that's, a, that's a tweetable right there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like how you put the little twist on it, by the way. I said, I have to, and you said, <laughs> I got to. That is, that's poetry. Okay. Change Next the thing. The, that's, that's good. So um, after your peer group, that's number five. Number six, uh, clean environment. 
I find that you're, you know, a lot of times people find that their external environment is a reflection of their internal environment. Just cleaning your desk, for example, helps you be more organized on the inside. So that'll help with your, with your brain and your processing. Okay. That, uh, it, it's ahead. so funny. I, w- I want you to continue with all these, but I have comments on each one. But yeah, go ahead. What, what's the next one? Number seven, I would say, is sleep. And this is the big one. I think there's a sleepless epidemic going on. Yes. Sleep is so important. Even when you talk about when how you build a muscle, you don't build a muscle by working out. You build a muscle by resting, and that's where you restore and you sleep. Same thing with your brain. That's where you're consolidating short to long term memories. That's where you're 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 cleaning the plaque out of your out of your brain. Very important. But we're studies show that we're getting less and less sleep as it goes on, and so that makes it that makes it difficult. And so get get the right sleep. I would say number eight is brain protection where uh, people like myself who are very active and they've hit their head a number of times, be careful of extreme sports, you know, wear a helmet and be careful, care for your brain. It's, it's not, it's, it's resilient, but it's fragile at the same time. I would say number nine to improve, unlock your superhero brain, if you will, is new learnings, new learnings. Absolutely. New learnings creates new connections, create neuroplasticity. And that's the best way to, 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 to exercise your mind. Your mind is like a muscle and it grows stronger with use. When, when, do, or lose it. when does something and so I'll, even though I have comments on each one, I'll, I'll ask you a question on this one. Yeah. When does something become new? So for instance, I read a lot and I read a lot about new things, but for, for instance, I don't know how to knit. So right. is, so is reading a biography a new thing or is me learning how to knit or watercolor or something really yeah. extremely different so, from my usual thing? Is that new? So the brain, when we're talking about human memory, it really thrives on novelty. And novelty. So anytime you need to make a new connection or, you know, where new brain cells are, are coming together, it's kind of like if you imagine a brain cell here and a brain cell like a little bit closer to it. And, and every time you have a new thought, it creates a thread and you have another thought, maybe it's two threads, three threads, and then it becomes after a while, you know, a paperclip or a wire. And that's where you're wired and you have a habit, if you will. And so new learnings is making that very first connection. And, you know, one of the books is kind of interesting. When when that young girl read 30 books in 30 days, looking back, she actually gave me one of those books. I read it a little while later, and I was it was on quantum physics and health, and I was really interested in it. And I keep a journal because I think uh, they've done these I've, – I've read about these studies where they do um, – they, they follow geniuses. And genius is not just IQ. People excel in certain areas, and a large population of them keep journals. And they're trying to figure out is it – causation or, or is it correlation is that is it because they're geniuses that they keep journals or is it because they keep journals and diaries that they become geniuses and they excel and i, I think the power of writing you know is so important for, for our friends out there that write constantly or their authors or bloggers or or what have you but anyway i maybe i picked up this book and i keep it in a journal i said i want to meet this author about quantum physics and health not now but give me two years two years so i'm smart enough to have a conversation with them and two years later, I'm speaking and in Boston. I turn the corner of the assembly hall. In the hallway is the author. Oh, my gosh. Two, two years exactly to the date. And this book's on quantum physics. And it's uh, Dr. Deepak Chopra, which some people might know who that is. Sure. And we sit down for lunch, and we have this conversation about Ayurvedic body types and learning styles. And, and he says this thing to me where he says, uh, Jim, the average person has about 60,000 thoughts a day. I'm thinking, you're kidding me. That's all. I think you're giving a lot of people a lot of credit, 60,000 thoughts a day. He says, you know, you're right. The thing is, it's 95% of the thoughts are the same thoughts they had yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. And so I think the mind really thrives. It, it's not comfortable for it. I think for shortcut reasons, a lot of us, we want to just validate what we already know. And that slows down our learning as opposed to emptying the cup 
and learning something brand new. So, so, so for instance, you know, when, when I ask the question, so let's say I read a book about Einstein, and now I've read other books about Einstein. So I'm going to learn something new, but not, and I might remember old things that I had forgotten, but it's not necessarily like super novelty. So every now and then, me personally, I should read something on like knitting or being yes. a car mechanic or something like that. I, I think I think I think there's large benefit for that because it's not even just about the size of your brain. I, Einstein's brain was the same size. I mean, it's three pounds of matter was a little bit actually less than what most people's are, but he had more connections in his brain because he did these thought experiments and he would sit in a in a classroom and imagine himself sitting and visualizing himself on a beam of light, looking at a clock, and just imagine what that would what that clock would look like. Those kind of things. And he would put himself in different brainwave states. and just So new learnings is very important. That's number nine. Ten, I would say, if I was going to add one more thing to the top ten things you could do to unleash your brain power and your learning would be stress management. Stress management. I mean, we, we've gotten to the point now, if anyone ever takes a vacation and they're on a beach somewhere and they don't know what to do with themselves because we're so wired to just be online all the time and work constantly or if we have, ever have a break. We're all suffering right now from this information overload. Right. And so stress creates this cortisol adrenaline and it's really good for fight or flight if you need to protect yourself or run away. But it's not really good if you need to prepare for an exam. It's not really good if you need to network and meet a lot of people and remember their names. It's not really good if you have to give a presentation without notes and you're scared about what you need to do, you know, for that meeting. So those are the, I would say they're the top 10. They're the going to move the, the lever, if you will. And so the 80-20 rule, I would focus on those 10 things. And when I say these things, they're all obvious, right? Uh, you know, as a brain coach, you're like, yeah, obviously those 10, I don't think anyone would disagree that sleep and stress management and new learnings and who you spend time with and, and exercise and eating good foods is, is, I don't think anyone would deny any of those 10, but look at the white space. You know, what areas do you feel like? Is there one, two, three, four, five areas or God forbid more that you feel like you're neglecting? You know, you you're right. Gonna... I think I think it's important to not necessarily be a master of every one of these things because that might put too much pressure on people, mm-hmm. but to kind of have a consistent view that okay, I would like to be a little better in each one of these things. You yeah, know, or it's just time. like maybe something I could do today, just kind of clean my environment, or maybe get a little bit more sleep today, or maybe I'm not managing my stress, or maybe I could you know t- do something with my diet here and just you know take a walk around you know, during, during my lunch break. But these, these are 10 that are going to move the, the needle. But So what I do is I teach different methods for accelerating the learnings and different principles that people could adopt in any area of your life, no matter what career or whatever, whatever your path is. So, so okay, but I want to I wanna quickly go through these 10 and ask a couple of quick questions. Sure, sure, sure. So, for instance, you know, kind of uh, what did you call the automatic negative thoughts that we constantly sure. are yes. thinking? Now, if you know, there's the there's the flip side of this where if I'm always thinking positive thoughts, it might actually be detrimental to myself depending oh. on those positive thoughts. Like if I always think, okay, I could definitely race in a, a NASCAR race at 150 <laughs> miles per hour, that might be detrimental to my health eventually. Right. I, I would agree with that completely. I mean, they say that I, I don't – I'm not – for Pollyanna, where everyone's just really happy for the sake of being happy. I'm, I'm talking more about where things that you could see for yourself, where you're limiting yourself in, in some kind of way. Because I think we have this, in psychology, they call this learned helplessness phenomenon, where they have like an elephant at the circus. You wonder why it doesn't just run away, because it's only tied to a rope and a stake in the ground. And the reason why it doesn't is because it tried to when it was first born. But it's been tied that same rope and stake the first couple of weeks, it just pulls its natural, its inclination is to have its sovereignty and its freedom. It pulled, pulled, pulled. 
but it learns it's helpless. So even when it's big and strong, it feels still, it's still prisoned inside of its own mind. And I think a lot of us suffer that in some area of our life. So, so there's, a, there's kind of a common sense approach where if I say, oh, I'm really bad at driving 300 miles per hour, that might, that might be an okay to think. But if I say to myself, oh, I'm really bad at uh, remembering people's names, just common sense. You know, probably if I worked out a little bit, I could be good at memorizing right. people's and names. Just, so just to be aware of where that line is, you know, when, exactly. you, when you're thinking. It's, it's, exactly. And you meld them together. They, they, there's studies where they, they find that pessimists actually are accurate more often, but optimists will, will achieve more. And that just kind of makes sense, right? If you're an optimist, you're going to take more risks and, you know, more risks, you know, more rewards potentially. Yeah, I, I, I read recently reflection plus risk equals contribution. So you, you mm. kind of think about things that are unique, you know, and ultimately you come up with something unique. Then you take the risk of actually taking action. And then that's actually how you contribute something new. I like it. So, so my, my other question, um, exercise, it's not like I should be lifting, you know, three times my weight in the gym every day, but I think even just movement or taking walks or whatever is, is important depending on, you know, what kind of exercise you want to do. Yeah, I think anything that's good for your heart is good for your head. Just get oxygen, I think it's very important. And so movement in, in, in any form that's safe, I would fully support that. Yeah, I just read yesterday, actually, that the brain consumes, even though it's only 2 or 3% of your body mass, it consumes 25% of the oxygen you breathe yeah, in. It, it uses, yeah, 20, 25% of the oxygen and all the nutrients. And so it's funny because even when people want to do things and they want to learn and they're sitting, they're slouched over and they're hunched over. They're, they collapse their lungs, they collapse the diaphragm. And it's always the, the lower half or third of your lungs is what absorbs most of the oxygen into your bloodstream. And so the first thing that kind of goes is, you know, our thinking. If we feel brain fog or we get tired, a lot of us start yawning or we, we just need to move around. And that movement also that you're talking about, the exercise, is there's, certain, you know, as your body moves, your brain grooves. We, you know, we know that they're connected and they're, they're one. And so, that I, I fully support movement. I think the brain originally was some some theories say that we, we have a brain even just because it controls the movement of our body. On diet, it's not as like everybody go, is very strict about what diet they propose. But I kind of think if you you know just at a very basic level, if you just don't you know eat too much and don't eat like junk food, <laughs> you're probably going to be better off than 99% of yeah, the people. Yeah, I mean, I think what it comes down to is we, we are our thoughts, the thoughts we think. We are the people we spend time with and we are what we eat because it literally becomes us. I'm more of a flexitarian. I, I, I feel like people have to find their own path and so I'm not one to judge. I'm not a nutritionist or a psychologist. I'm not anything that ends in an ist. But I just, for me, I think some people, friends of mine, are so stressed out about how they eat and that stress counteracts a lot of the health benefits that they're getting out of their, their diet. On clean environment, I totally agree with you. In fact, I forgot the name of the book, but it's by Marie Kondo. It's something like the, the magic art of tidying up. But my wife and I recently threw out almost all of our belongings. And yeah. part of the benefit of that is that it did create this huge relief on stress. But also now our house is always clean. So yes. we're not going to throw our coats on the floor because there's nothing on the floor so it's, and there's nothing in the closet so it's really easy to just hang up and, and and that's a great metaphor for how your mind is is because when we clean the clutter and everything is organized everything has its place and that's how your mind works also a lot of people can't you know there's three parts to memory there's the information going in how you encode it and then it's how you store it which is the second stage and then third stage is retrieving it out of the storage and a lot of people can't retrieve that name or that 
data or that number or that language, whatever it is, because they don't know how they stored it and where they stored it. And so it's kind of like when you organize things in your home, you know where everything has its place, right? And so strong memory training will have it organized in a way where there's internal locations of where to put things. Well, okay, I was gonna I was gonna jump to another thing, but let's uh, let's, <laughs> let's let's focus <laughs> on that out. for a second. How, how do you um how do you specifically store things in your brain and then remember where you stored them? Like, what's yeah. what's I the mean, technique? I mean, the technique is, and this is you, you've heard this. I mean, this is called the location method or, or, the, or the loci method, and it's short for location, and it's attributed uh, to a Greek order named Simonides. Simonides. And it's about 2,500 years old. And the urban legend goes that he was giving a poetry reading in a building. And when he was done, he leaves and something really tragic happens. The building collapses and kills everybody in the room there. And he had the responsibility, because he's the only survivor, to come back and help family members identify their loved ones. Because back then, buildings were made of sheetrock and wood. It was made of stone. And he was able to remember where each of them who each of them were based on where they were sitting around the room. And we can all do that. We store information in our environment all the time because back then, you know, through as hunter gatherers or we didn't need to know through survival, like what words meant or long numbers and stuff like that. We needed to know where things were like where the clean water was, where the enemy tribe was, where is the clean soil, you know, fertile soil and where the food was. And that was our, that was how we're going to survive. And so we've learned through that process of evolution to store information in our environment. And so the technique, this location technique, if you will, is taking an environment that you're familiar with and storing important information around your environment. And when you want to retrieve it, go to those locations. So I could actually take everyone through a really quick exercise. It'll take a, just a few minutes. Sure. I can demonstrate this. So everyone just, just take a deep breath, get some oxygen, just breathe normally. And I, if, if it's safe, if it's safe to do so, only close your eyes. If not, you can do it with your eyes open. But if it's safe, it helps just to kind of eliminate distractions. And I'm going to take you through a visualization journey, just something very simple. I'm going to imagine you're, you're flying to uh, Westchester, New York, and it's just a suburb of New York City, a little north of New York, um, where my office is. And I want you to imagine you land in Westchester Airport and see and feel. And even if you can't imagine it, just play with me. Just imagine you can imagine it. And you land and a car picks you up and you're coming to my office to learn speed reading or whatever. And you're in the back seat and we're in suburbia, lots of, lots of trees and, and, and houses. And we get to my building and I'm going I'm to identify 10 places in my office and uh, I'm going to show you how to use these. So we get to my building in the back is the first uh, place and it's the parking lot. So, so say to yourself out loud, parking lot. So number one is what? Parking, parking lot. lot. Good. And then number two, uh, it has like a waterfall and it creates like a moat around the building. So you have to cross this bridge. So the second place is bridge. So what's number two? Bridge. Bridge. Good. And then you cross the bridge and then you go into the building. The third place is the elevator. So see yourself get into the elevator. What's the third place? Elevator. Elevator. And say this out loud with, even if you're just by yourself and you're at the gym, whatever, say it out loud. It's kind of cool, but it makes you active. And that's, that's key to accelerating your learning is not being passive because learning is not a spectator sport. You have to be active. So third place, the elevator, you get out of the elevator and the fourth place is waiting for you right there is the hallway. You see the hallway. And so see the carpeted hallway. What's number four? Hallway. Hallway. Good. And you open a door to my office immediately to the left is the fifth place. And it's the closet. Look at the closet. Open the closet. Number five is what? Closet. Closet, good. And then you go over to the sixth I'm, I'm place. I'm feeling like I'm doing well on a test. Good, good. You're doing great, James. And then everyone also, you're doing great. Go to sixth place. The sixth place is the receptionist. So see the receptionist there. Six is what? Receptionist. Good. Behind the receptionist is uh, the seventh place, which is a fish tank. 
fish tank. And you see these tropical fish inside, Nemo and everybody. Six, that's, that's seventh place. Seventh place is what? Uh, fish, fish, fish tank. tank. Good. And I have people say it out loud also because that's your auditory memory. All right, so you have, you have this, uh, this auditory memory also. So you go over to the eighth place. The eighth place is actually the door to the classroom. You're about to take speed reading. The eighth place is the door. What's the eighth place? Door. Door, good. And then immediately open a door. Immediately up front is a whiteboard. Is the whiteboard. That's your ninth place. What's your ninth place? Board. Yeah, good. It's the whiteboard. And then finally, the tenth place is, um, I have all these bonsai trees, like these Japanese plants on the side of the classroom. So bonsai trees, that's number 10. What's number 10? Bonsai trees. Bonsai trees, great. And so in your mind, you have these 10 places here. And this is the location method. Some people call it the, the journey method, or they call it the magic, the, the, the memory palace, if you will. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take 10 pieces of information and put them into 10 places. So we started this conversation with having, you know, people having a fear of public speaking. And so like, imagine you now, you need to give a talk. And this is what I train a lot in Hollywood. And this is like one of the, uh, you know, a dozen plus methods I train here in Hollywood. Actors teach them how to memorize their lines or speed read their scripts and give speeches without notes. Imagine now you are on stage and you need to give a speech and, and you don't need to know verbatim, but you need to know the order of the things that you need to talk about. And the challenge is sometimes someone in the audience, and you know this, James, somebody asks you a question and you're like, you go to there and answer it and you would just like, you come back. You're like, oh, where at? Where was I? You know, what number was I on, or whatever. And so, if you want to give a speech without notes or using a teleprompter or even PowerPoint slides, imagine. Actually, let's do this. Let's take the ten keys for uh, superhero brain that we talked about earlier. And what we're gonna take is each of those keys and put one in the first place, two in the second place, third thing in the third place. And by the way, if you've ever found yourself saying in the first place this, in the second place that, and in the third place that. That languaging actually came from 2,500 years ago, that learning technique. But that memory oh. technique has disappeared, but that language is still there. And so let's do it together. Take a deep breath, exhale. If it's safe, close your eyes. If not, do it with me. And, uh, and just imagine now you're going to the first place. The first place Park is what? Park line. I want you to get out and you see the first brain tip is good diet. And you want you to see a big buffet of good diet foods. You know, you see your avocados, your walnuts, your fish, if you like your, you know, fish oils and stuff. You're eating all that. You're just gobbling it up. Kind of fun, right? Novel. Remember, your brain thrives on novelty. Just make it fun like you're a child. And then go over to second place. Second place is what? Bridge. Bridge. And as you're crossing the bridge, the second brain tip, killing ants. I want you to imagine you're killing and stepping on ants. Automatic negative thoughts. But imagine little insect ants. You would never do that, right? Just imagine. If you can't imagine, imagine you can imagine it. Stepping on all the ants. And don't just say it. You have to feel it and hear it and, and, and see it. I always ask myself, what do I see and how does it make me feel? And then go to the third place is what? Uh, elevator. Elevator. And I want you to remember exercise is good for your brain. So just get in that elevator and you start doing your favorite exercise with your favorite exercise, your personal trainer. You're doing uh, P90X, CrossFit, yoga, whatever it is. You're doing it with your favorite coach there. Get out of the elevator. Immediately in front of you is what? Hallway. A hallway. And I want you to remember brain nutrients. And that's a funny one, brain nutrients, but brain vitamins. Imagine big bottles of brain vitamins coming at you. And you have to be Indiana Jones or Laura Croft or Donkey Kong. And you're jumping over the big bottles, the barrels of brain vitamins. Well, what, what, what's a good brain nutrient? Okay. So like, you know, people say that uh, B vitamins are very good for your brain. So imagine bottles of B vitamins there. That, that, that are there. Just see bottles of brain nutrients with a big brain on it and stuff. Your fatty acids and everything, ginkgo biloba, whatever your nutrients are. Some people use their neurotropic things. Okay, so that's number, that's number uh, 
or go and open the office immediately to the left is what? Closet. Closet. Excellent. This is amazing. I'm going to hang out my coat. Yeah. And you open your closet. And then the fifth thing that was good for your brain is a positive peer group. So I want you to see a big, you open the closet and all your positive peers, all your happy friends are in there, in the closet. See all your positive peers, positive peer group in the closet. That's great. You can picture them like all being hung up. (laughs) There you go. Perfect. And then you go to the sixth place. We're halfway there is what? Uh, the receptionist. Perfect. And she's cleaning the environment. She's very beautiful, by the way, in my imagination. (laughs) Clean environment, clean environment. And so she's OCD, bleaching everything. Everything has its place, cleaning the desk, clean environment, see it. And then behind the receptionist is the seventh place, which is what? Uh, fish tank. Good. And I want you to remember the the seventh tip, sleep. So remember, I want you to look at the fish tank. It's something funny. All the fish are sleeping. They're in their pajamas. They're in their bunk beds. They're snoring. Look at Nemo with his Z's. Good. And then after that, in eighth place is what? Uh, the door to the classroom. Excellent. And the door is locked. And the eighth tip, it reminds you, is brain protection. So you put on a helmet. The helmet reminds you of brain protection. And you headbutt the door open, and it shatters and splinters everywhere. And uh, that's how you remind brain protection. Immediately up front, number nine is the ninth place, which is what? Uh, the board, the whiteboard. Good, the whiteboard. And I want you to see there, new learnings. Remember, we talked about new learnings. And you see me up front. You know, there and I'm writing the word new learnings. I'm teaching speed reading. I'm writing new learnings. See it in your favorite color, you know, your favorite color, whatever your color is, favorite marker. I'm writing new learnings. And then finally, 10th place is what? In the classroom, you have bonsai trees. Yeah, all the bonsai trees. That's the 10th place. And you want to associate that. You want to put in this location, this memory file, stress management, because that's the 10th tip that you need to talk about on stage. Stress management. So, what's stress management for you? Maybe you're doing yoga. On the bonsai trees, you have to do it on or, the bonsai trees. Or, Maybe you're know, getting a massage. Bon- the bonsai trees itself is almost a form of yoga, mm-hmm. like just the, the presence you have to do towards clipping all the branches. Good. Exactly. And just imagine you're getting stress management out of it. Maybe you're doing that, you're cutting the bonsai trees, or you're getting a massage on the bonsai trees to manage your stress. So now those are the 10 tips for unlocking your superhero brain. And we put them all in the, in the 10 places. So now you're on stage now. You're the memory expert. You need to talk, give a talk on these 10 tips. What's, uh, forget about the places. Walk around my office. What's the first tip you need to talk about? Uh, diet. Diet, perfect. And then walk over to the second place. What's the second tip? And, and do this as you're listening to it, everyone. Do it out loud with me. You walk over to the second place, Ugh. and then what's there? Oh, I got to remember, killing ants. Because yeah, I'm, I'm stepping on ants thought. on the bridge. Automatic <laughs> negative thoughts. Great, James. And you go to third place is, is what? Uh, exercise because the ease for the elevator. Good, you're in the exercise elevator. Good, you get out of the elevator and then into the hallway. And the, what's there? The hallway, and I'm jumping down with brain nutrients. Brain nutrients. Take your brain vitamins. Good. You open the door. To I've, the I've got all my friends hanging up in the closet. Good. All your positive friends. Your positive. The receptionist is cleaning the environment all over Good. the place. Good. It's there. After the clean environment is what? Uh, the fish tank. All the fish are asleep. Sleep, and so that's reminding you get a good sleep. And then you go over to the eighth place, the door. How do you open the door? I butt my head against the door. Brain protection. Brain protection with the helmet. And immediately in front of the room, you're is, you're teaching new learnings on the whiteboard. Remember new learnings, and finally the tenth tip to unlocking your superhero brain is what? Ah, bonsai trees. I fo- stress management. Stress management. You got it. You. Got I, it. I can almost give a talk on this now. You can give a talk on this right now. And so anyone, what we've done here is. 
is to come full circle and close these loops. We talked about the 10 tips for unlocking your superhero brain. We talked about the power of locations of storing information and retrieving information. And we put it all in this great technique called the location method. So, and anything that and you could do this in your own home, you could go in your home, sit, you know, stand in the doorway, look around and here, here's five places. You know, the, the microwave is in place one, the stove is two, the refrigerator is three, the dishwasher is four, and the sink is five. You know, and then you go through and what can you put there? You could store information about a sales process. I think I'm gonna use, I think I'm gonna use your place. I've got your place like included <laughs> in my head now. You can, you could do that. And so it's you, know, you could put your to do list there. You could put if you need to call Dave, put Dave in your first place, right? So, on the phone. Do you use this like let's say you have to memorize a hundred numbers backwards and forwards. Is this the technique you you've practiced and used? Um, you, I could do it that way. Absolutely. I would, I would do this location method and just, uh, take numbers and put numbers in different places and maybe do them, you know, two or three digits at a time. Um, and so you could place it there and know it forwards and backwards. You could do a shopping list really well with this. So I, you know, I recommend when people as an activity go to, um, create your house list, create something in your home, go in each room, take five or 10 things, go clockwise around and then, and say like, okay, let's say imagine someone calls you and you're, you can't write anything down. So you have a big party going on. They need you to go to Whole Foods and pick up these 10 things. Put those 10 things, put chocolate cake in your first place, gluten-free, of course. Put, you know, put uh, guacamole in your second place. Put, you know, uh, put uh, grass-fed beef, whatever, in your third place. And then put it there in a way that's funny and memorable. And that's the thing. It's all about taking the ordinary information and making an extraordinary inside your own mind. So do you have to do something with it? Like, so for instance, with, with the receptionist and the clean environment, it's not just that I store the words clean environment with your receptionist. I, I have to picture her almost doing something ridiculous, like right. being, o- you said being OCD. Like right. I have to, she's doing something ridiculous with the clean, with her environment. Right. You want to do something. Remember we talked about like the mem- your memory thrives on novelty, on novelty. So newness, anything that you would remember walking down the street, do that inside your own mind. And you're like, well, that's very childlike. Think about the fastest learners out there. You know, children, they can pick up musical instruments, languages, anything faster. You know, part of, I, I always say there's four keys to learn anything faster, right? Four keys. And they're really fast. F-A-S-T. And I like acronyms. F is forget what you already know about the subject. Because as we grow older, if we feel like that we know something, that's what keeps us from learning something brand new. So empty your cup. How do you forget? temporarily set it aside, you know, Mm -hmm. so make a conscious effort while you're sitting, listening to the podcast or you're sitting at the conference, you're reading the book, temporarily set aside what you already know about it. If you want, write it down to learn something new. I would, I would just actually forget about three things, James, forget about what you know about the subject. I would forget about temporarily set aside what you, what's going on situationally, meaning there's a study done at Harvard by George Miller saying you can only really be aware consciously of, of seven plus or minus two bits of information. Seven minus two is five, seven plus uh, two is nine. So if I gave you a list of 20 words, you probably remember five to nine of those words if you didn't use a memory device. If, if you would go to a networking a gathering, you meet you know 20 people, you'd probably remember five to nine of them, about seven. So if that's the case, a lot of people don't learn. If you want to accelerate your learning, a lot of people... Let's say they're sitting to learn something, but two bits of that seven are thinking about the kids and three bits are thinking about clients. That only leaves you one or two bits to focus on what's present. Mm-hmm. So I would say forget about the subject, forget about situation, forget about also limiting beliefs. But we already talked about that. If you think you can or think you can't, either way, you're right. And Henry Ford said that. The A in FAST stands for what we already talked about, be active. 
You know, I think that if you're struggling right now, first of all, if you're listening to this, you're amazing. You're a kindred spirit and I love you because you want to grow. Here's the thing. If you're struggling, there's just too much information, too much to learn, too little time. It's not your fault. It's we all grew up with this 20th century education that prepared us for a 20th century world. And at the turn of the 1900s, it was really a factory job. It was working out in farms to follow simple orders. And so we had this assembly line, cookie cutter education, one size fits all, sit quietly by yourself, don't talk to your neighbor, but that's not the world we live in right now, right? And so we can't be passive. Learning is not based on consumption, it's based on creation. And it's not just a solo process like we talked about, how you got yourself to go out there and go to San Francisco. It's a social process also, right? Get stimulus. So I'm saying, forget about, you know, be active, be active and, and take notes. You know, right now everyone can be taking their notes and teaching other people and tweeting about it and Facebooking and sharing it. Also be active in the process because learning is not a spectator sport. What you put in is what you get out. The T and the S in fast stands for state, state. And that's the current mood of your mind and your body It's basically, I would never in traditional education, you're bored and you're tired Emotion tied to information becomes a long-term memory. Emotion associated with information becomes a long-term memory. But most people don't remember things. There's a learning curve, but there's also a forgetting curve. And a lot of people don't know within two days of learning something, 48 hours, 80% of it could be gone. You know, So there's a forgetting curve. To the degree you could add emotion to it is to the degree it's going to hard code more into a long-term memory. So you want to control your state. So you want to learn. And you can control your state. Remember, you're a thermostat by controlling your thoughts or your mind, right, of what you're saying to yourself or asking of yourself, and also your body. Remember we talked about, you know, how you need to move, and as your body moves, your brain grooves, sitting up and sitting straight and breathing, all that controls your state. And then, because all learning is state-dependent, that's the tweetable, at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, state-dependent. <laughs> and finally, the T, you love this, you love this, James, this is why you're such a fast learner, is teaching. Learn to teach. If you had to re-listen to this podcast, which I would recommend people do, or any of, the, any of the future podcasts in the past, learn it as if you're going to teach it to somebody else the next day. Because think about it. If you had to teach and give a presentation on this topic the next day, would your focus be different? Would you ask different questions? Would you take notes differently? Would you personalize it more? So you learn to teach. Because here's the thing. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. You know, it's so interesting because I read something recently where if you read something you want to memorize, you know, reread it, write it down, and then the next day you have to say it to somebody and, and do that again the next day, and then you'll have learned it. So yeah, I read I think, something very think, similar to that. I think that's huge. Even just for building basic reading comprehension, you know, three R's. First, read something and then write using an R, write about it. And then relate it to somebody else. Talk about it. Because something magical has to happen. If you're, if you're reading or comprehending or someone's talking to you, put information inside, it comes through your eyes or ears or whatever. In order to output it, either through your hands or through your voice, you have to, you have to own it differently. Because you're not using the author or the expert's words. You're using your own words, right? And that's how you ingrain something. And they have this phrase that says, those who can't do, teach. And you know, those who can't do business, teach business. I never thought that was a negative when I first heard it. I always thought, wow, if I can't do something, teach it, and then I could do it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so you know, there's so much more I want to ask you. Do you have a few more minutes? I know we've so, gone over an hour. No, let, let, let's do it. So, so I kind of want to um, also hear about some of your experiences. Like you mentioned just casually, oh, I was picking up Stan Lee to have dinner with Richard Branson. Like, uh, and I know this is off topic of like how to learn and I want to get to more of, of the techniques, but what happened at that dinner? 
Okay, so I mean, it's amazing. So I, I mean, there's two of my heroes because I mean, superheroes come in all different forms, and I love Stan because he has two passions. You know, I think you can learn a lot through books, and I love reading, but I also think a good conversation with someone, and you know this, James, is, is sometimes even better than reading the book. Yeah. And so I, I after talking to Stan about I want to find his passions. He has two passions because I was I'm always interested in motivation because I think that's one of the keys to learning. When I gave a talk recently in Silicon Valley, um, Bill Gates was there, and afterwards he comes up to me and we start talking about the future of learning. And we talked about education, future education. We talked about learning methodologies and technology, the convergence of it. But you know, I asked him like, what, what's missing here? And he's like human motivation. So that's that's very interesting. So he came up to you, obviously, because he had a question for you. And he's a very curious guy. But you, you're kind of using your technique of uh, uh, new questions drive learning. And so you asked him, you weren't kind of lecturing him. No, no, I, I always, every time, even when, before we started this conversation, you know, you and I were talking, and I was, I just love asking questions. I'm very curious. But one of the things was um, I asked him also this other question, like, what, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? And he says, Jim, it would be the ability to read faster, huh. and, uh, and it's, which is amazing, right? Because leaders are readers. And so we, we already talked about that. You know, I've, I've heard that Warren Buffett says, has said publicly that you know, he's probably wasted 10 years of his life reading slowly. And you know, that's a big challenge. But going back to Stan Lee, he has two passions. I'm asking him what's his motivation, going back to motivation, which is a theme of you know, this conversation you and I are having. And he says uh, his passion is really his work. So he still, we just celebrated his 92nd birthday, he still goes to work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, because he loves telling stories. And his other passion is his wife, who's 93 years old. Wow. Amazing. So Stan, for me, I don't think age, when we talk about being a rapid learner, when I talk about age, I don't mean chronological age. I mean the age of your mind and your heart. I mean, Stan is one of the youngest, oldest people I know. And he, and he is that way because he keeps his mind fresh all the time. And, and so you could tell he's having fun too. Like, I love when I when I go to a Marvel movie, you know, and Marvel's now owned by Disney. So it, it's it's several decades away from when Stan Lee has had direct influence on the content. But he in every single Marvel movie, he's an extra. So I always have a fun time finding Stan Lee in the movie. It's amazing. He does his cameos are so famous. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll give you one, I'll give you another accelerated learning technique. You know, I think being a child when we talk about childlike curiosity, talking about Stan and how young he really is because he's like an eight-year-old in a 92-year-old body. I think being a child, when we talked about children learning languages and, and, and musical instruments are really fast, but it's an attitude, right? And so here's an example using superheroes and childlike curiosity. Um, recently, I was, I was giving a talk for the, the CEO of 20th Century Fox, for Fox Studios, right? And I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous because it's for him and his board, and I'm going through the hallway, and I see all these movie posters uh, that are famous that Fox has done, right? Titanic, Star Wars, Avatar. And it puts me, it takes all my nerves out, because we talked about, we opened up this conversation with my fear of public speaking. I, I'm no longer scared. I'm just like a kid again, because I've seen these movies, you know, Avatar and, and everything else. And I go and I give my very best presentation and training. I double everyone's reading speed in the room. We remember names, faces. We do everything. It's incredible. And in half a day afterwards, and it's a Friday as a treat, the CEO walks me around the studio and he gives me a, a tour of the lot. And I, I've never been on lot, a set before where they film television and stuff like that. And I see this movie poster of a movie coming out called Wolverine. 
you know, with Hugh Jackman. And I'm a huge Hugh Jackman fan. Um, and so I, I was like, I can't wait to see that movie. And then he picks up his phone. And five minutes later, James, I'm sitting in a theater with 3D glasses watching oh Hugh Jackman God. take on all these super ninjas. And then afterwards, the chairman comes and picks me up. And he's like, Jim, how was the movie? Doing some market research. And I was like, this is really great. I thank you so much. Best Friday ever. And I, I tell him, because I'm still eight years old watching you know, my superheroes, I, I tell him, like, you don't know this, but I, I grew up with learning challenges. And I taught myself how to read by reading comic books. My favorite comic book growing up were the X-Men, like Wolverine, because not that they were the strongest. It's just because they didn't fit in. And I felt like I didn't fit in growing up. I didn't have a lot of friends. And I found out one night, reading comic books late at night, when I was teaching myself to read, I found that the, the X-Men school, their school for the gifted with Professor X, was in Westchester, New York, where I was living, where I grew up. And so I'm telling them every weekend, which is true, I would ride my bike in my neighborhood trying to find this school because I wanted to run away from home, run away from my school, and go to that school and make new friends and find my superpowers because I felt like... I, I was really had no power. And I tell this to the chairman and he's like, Jim, I didn't, I didn't know you like superheroes. Do you want to go to Comic-Con? And like, think about that, James. And I was like, and automatically I go from an eight year old to an 88 year old. I'm thinking, when is it? He's like now, and like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I was thinking, oh man, there's traffic. I have all these meetings. I don't have to wear, I have to wait on lines. How am I going to get, you know, 88 year old. Right. Uh. And so he's like, Jim, do you want to go? I'm going tomorrow morning. I was like, oh, yeah, Chairman of Fox is going. I want to go with you. So he picks me up next morning at my hotel at 8 o'clock, and we get this crazy. We get on the Fox jet, and when I get on the jet, James, the entire cast of X-Men is on that plane. And oh they're going to surprise Comic-Con with a surprise appearance because Hugh Jackman is there going to talk about Wolverine, the movie I just saw, and then he's going to bring out the entire cast at Comic-Con. Wait, did you Fox. suddenly feel like shy with them? Like, oh, completely, completely. Uh, because I just like, I'm freaking out because like, you know, I don't, it'd be equivalent. I don't follow a lot of sports like religiously anymore because of my time, but it'd be equivalent of someone going on this plane and seeing their favorite, you know, sports team or whatever. And it's just amazing, right? And so I'm, I'm it's Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart. I'm sitting between Jennifer Lawrence and Holly Berry. And I'm like, I'm just really shy and not and awkward. And, but I spend the entire day with them at Comic-Con. And on the way back, the uh, uh, CEO asked me, how was your day? I was like, this is the best day ever, best Friday, thank you so much. And he's like, Jim, I have something else for you. And I'm thinking, I don't want anything else. What can I do for you? <laughs> and he's like, Jim, they really loved you. How would you like to go on set? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we have another 30 days, another month of filming uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, do you want to go on set? And I'm like, oh, I totally want to do that, but what can I do for you? And he was like, well, just teach them your stuff, speed reading scripts, you know, memorize their lines, help them focus and present on set. I was like, oh, I could totally do that. Next morning, we're on the plane, the X-Jet. We're flying from LA to Montreal, and I'm doing, I'm sharing brain tips and helping them, you know, with their stuff. And were they good students? Yeah, amazing. Cause I think the best, I think that the outliers, the leaders, the people who are best at what they do, they, they love, they, they, they know they have a lot, they, they love learning. You know, they love, they have these same kind of conversations that you and I are having. And so we get on set and I get to be there for a week or more. And I get to, you know, not only eat and work out with them and all that stuff, share, but also I get to see, you appreciate this. As an eight-year-old, I got to see my real-life superheroes come to life in front of me. And it was the most amazing thing. And this all came from being like a child. And I think that accelerates our learning. But here's the thing, the, the highlight of it. When I go home... There's a package waiting for me. It's the size of a television, plasma TV. And I open it up, and there's this framed photograph of me and the entire cast of X-Men, the entire cast. 
and the note in it, and that becomes my that's my Facebook cover photo, my Twitter cover photo, everything, yeah. because people could see it. But it's I, there's a note in there from the chairman that says this: "Jim, thank you so much for sharing your superpowers with us. I know you've been looking for your superhero school. Here's your class photo." That is so cool. So I have a couple of takeaways from that. One is, of course, the be like a child gives you energy. But then the other thing I take away from that is the leadership, the you know chairman of 20th Century mm-hmm. Fox, he kept going beyond over-delivering. Yeah. It wasn't even like he was over-promising. He was, he was over-over-delivering to you every step of the way. Like you never expected the next thing, and he kept delivering. Amazing. And then that, that, that's leadership, right? That's what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs, they add value where there was never any value there before. So, so okay. So I, I have one other question about that particular scene. So you're around these great actors like Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, you know, Patrick Stewart, all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing about the best actors is, of course, they're that way because they're amazingly charismatic. So tens of millions of people fall in love with them. If there was one thing you kind of learned about charisma from these people, what would you say it was? You know, here's the thing when it comes to charisma and that I've noticed from, um, this is, and I'll tie this into learning because this is a perfect way to cap this conversation. I think charisma, two things. I think that it's less about being interesting and more about being interested. And so one of the keys to accelerate your learning and improve your memory, let's say people want to remember names, for example, we talked about motivation big time. You know, why do you want to remember this? Why do you want to learn it? Just remember mom. Mom is motivation. The M is motivation. And so tap into your motivation. Why do you want to remember the person's name? What have you? Because for example, if there was a suitcase of $100,000 cash, if you just remember the name of the next stranger you wanted to meet, you met, you would remember that person's name because the motivation is there. It had nothing to do with your potential or your capabilities. You could do it. You just need to be motivated too. The O in mom, this is the key to answer your question. What I noticed with all these top actors and leaders is observation. They have an acute sense of awareness and observation presence. Like for example, um, I've had the opportunity and, and the blessing to be able to spend uh, some time with President Clinton on multiple occasions. And everyone knows he's got charisma, right? He's an incredible connector, great communicator. What people don't know, he has an outstanding memory, an outstanding memory. Every time I see him, remembers my name, remembers my, my loved ones, ask about our last conversation. Incredible. And I asked him about how he does it. And I was like, what memory trick do you use, President Clinton? And he's like, Jim, I don't use any memory tricks. I was like, but, okay, but I'm going to dig deeper. How, do, how come you are, you must be trained then there? Because I always think there's a method behind the magic. Whenever someone exhibits some kind of magic, there's some kind of conscious or unconscious method that they're using. And I find out that his grandfather taught, told stories on a regular basis in Arkansas to all the children. But afterwards, he would do something different. He would quiz them and ask them questions and to see if they were really listening. And so he would, he would pay this acute attention. And recently, I was at a fundraiser with, and I sat right next to President Clinton, right next to him. And at the table, Forrest Whitaker, um, you know, Richard Branson, Ashton Kutcher, his twin brother, I mean, really important people, more important than I am. But when he's talking to you, I noticed something funny. He's not he doesn't look over your shoulders and you could tell he's completely present. And I think his incredible memory and his charisma, talking about actors and their charisma, his incredible charisma, his memory, his powerful presence comes from being powerfully present. Hmm. 
His powerful presence comes from being powerfully present. He's not looking around the room and seeing who's most important. Because you know when you're with somebody and you do that, you know they feel that, right? Right. And he's not even, what most people do when they're talking to you, they're not really listening. They're thinking about how they're going to respond to you, right? And so just look at the word listen. Listen, if you scramble the letters, spells the word silent. Be silent. When you want to learn something new and the secret to charisma is just being really present, and finally, the, th- the second M in mom, the third, you know, M is motivation, O is observation for charisma and memory. The last M is the mechanics. Those are the tips, the tools, the techniques that we do in our online programs. I teach on stage on how to learn languages, speed read, memory, names, and everything else like that. But I still think that the conversation that we had about lifestyle and whole self-learning and, you know, talking, I mean, I bet you, James, you can still even go through the list later on today. If you wanted to, and everyone I'm gonna, listening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna take Claudia through this <laughs> and teach somebody else because that's part of fast. But we talked about fast, you know, forget and 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 be active. We talked about state and teaching. We talked about mom. We talked about motivation, observation, mechanics. We talked about the location method as a review. You know, we talked about you know good diet, killing ants, exercise. You know, okay, but nutrition. but two more questions. Okay, <laughs> okay. do you have the time? So, still, what happened between Stanley and Richard Branson? <laughs> So the conversation was was amazing. Um, you know, where we talked about different passions and projects that we were working on. You know, I, I was doing a deep dive with both of them because I had the opportunity to because I do a lot with Virgin also as well and and Virgin Unite as a, as a fundraiser. We talk about passions, projects. We That's funny. You know, I I do a lot with Virgin Unite as well. Yeah, just to, so was, just to throw that in there. Yeah. So so like I mean, my thing with whenever meeting individuals, and it's not just I mean, I mentioned the names. Because I'm very shy, right? But I mean, we, you know, I, I put photographs, stuff like that, capture different moments and meanings and conversations and stuff like that. Because it's, it's, I, I, and I mention the names not to name drop, but what, what the difference is, is if I say I went to dinner with Jill and Bob, you know, there's no pictures and there's no associations or anything that's there. It just, it puts an image there. And I purposely do that from accelerated learning trigger technique because next time, like, you'll remember this conversation later on. You'll, you'll see, you get on Virgin, you know, Virgin uh, airplane or you'll read a comic book or you'll see Hugh Jackman. I plant all these different stories in people's minds because they'll trigger some of this learning later on also, also as well. So, okay. And then the, the other, the other quick question, I don't know if it's quick or not, or, you know, Pun intended, Jim Quick, but <laughs> speed reading. I don't know. I know we're at the end here, but uh, uh, what are like two or three tricks for okay. speed reading? I um, read a lot, so I, I speed reading would always be helpful to me. So, I mean, this is different than when, when we do a whole, we do a whole, you know, online kind of training on this, like yes. repetition. But in terms of brain hacks, really quick, I would say, I would say this. Using a visual pacer will improve your reading speed. And so across the board. So visual pacer is using a pen, a, p- a pencil, a mouse, a highlighter, your finger while you read. Underlinings, not skipping anything, will boost your reading speed 25 to 50% across the board. Across the board. And so what I mean by that is read something for 60 seconds without using your finger. Read it how you normally read. Count the number of lines you just read. And then try reading it, um, pick up where you left off, uh, just underlining the words using a visual pacer. And then count the number of lines you read in 60 seconds. That second number will be 25-50% increase. People doesn't think that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Well, that, that, that's very interesting because I would think if I, because I'm so used to reading like my way, I would think if I was reading in a different manner, it would be distracting to me. Yeah, and see, here's the thing. The reason why using a visual pacer helps you, I'll give you a few reasons, because as adults, adult learning theory, we want to know why. I would say that um, 
first of all, kids do it naturally. So organic learning, they naturally do it until we teach them not to. Second of all, you do it. You might not use a visual pace when you read, but when I ask you to count the number of lines you just read, 100 out of 100 people will start using their finger or pen, counting and using it as a visual pacer. Third reason is your eyes are attracted to motion. So as opposed to what most what you think that your attention be pulled apart and distracted, your attention is actually being pulled through the information as, it being, as opposed to your attention being pulled apart. The third reason is because your neurology, your, your nervous system, certain senses work really closely together, James. So like, just like if you tasted a great tasting peach, Right, right, right off the vine or right from the farmer's market, it tastes different than something that's been sprayed or waxed or something sitting in the grocery store, right? But in actuality, you're not tasting the peach, you're smelling the peach. But your sense of smell and sense of taste are so closely linked that your mind doesn't know the difference. Just like your sense of smell and taste are so closely linked, so is your sense of sight and your sense of touch. And you literally people using their finger when they read will tell me they feel more in touch with their reading. They feel more focused, they feel more comprehension. In fact, when you lose your sense of sight, if anyone loses their sense of sight, how do they read? Yeah, Braille. Braille, they use their sense of touch. And so it's so ingrained. So using your finger will boost 25, 50%. And the reason why speed reading is important is because leaders are readers. But not only that, the, the, the biggest time waster people report in terms of people's days is information management. Informa- think about all the emails, websites, books, unread books on your shelf, all this stuff. Four hours a day you need to do just to keep up. If you could just double your reading speed and save two hours a day, what's two hours a day over the course of a year? Oh, let's, let's make it easier. What's one hour a day saved over the course of a year? It's like 365 hours, right? Yeah, but so that's, that's that? a very big exponential number. Break it down. Like what's 365 hours? It's like how 180 many 40, days. Yeah, how many 40-hour work weeks is that? 40-hour work weeks, that's nine 40-hour work weeks. That's two months of productivity you get back just saving an hour a day, just being a little bit better at reading. And so that's why I'm saying reading is so important. You know, I would challenge also people, one more brain hack to it, play around using your right and left hand while you're reading. I find um, anecdotally, I test thousands of people you know, every single year. They tend to, fastest readers, not only with fast speed, but all best focus and comprehension, they tend to be women. They tend to be um, musically inclined and they tend to be left-handed. And so I would experiment with your left hand. And the reason why was one of the things I talked about in this was that as your body moves, your brain grooves. We know through studies that your brain controls your body. Like, for example, if if there's head injury on the left-hand side, you know, usually if there is paralysis, like a stroke, it manifests on the right side. We know one side of your brain controls the opposite side of your body. But what recent research is saying is that it's not just a brain-body connection, it's a body-brain connection, that using your body in certain ways will actually stimulate different parts of your brain. For example, in Oxford University recently, they said that jugglers have bigger brains, that using that juggling actually helps stimulate uh, the growth of uh, white, um, white matter in your brain. And so using your body in certain ways could help stimulate. So using your left hand, for example, could stimulate the right side of your brain. And that's the left side is words and sounds. You know, in fact, the biggest challenge when speed reading, people don't think it's not your focus or, or back skipping. Like that's a big thing. You know, people lack of focus. They back skip and reread words. The big one is sub vocalization. Sub vocalization, sub meaning under, inner. That's your inner speech. You ever notice, James, when you're reading something, you hear that inner voice inside your head reading along with you? Hopefully it's your own voice, not like yes. somebody else's <laughs> voice. The reason why it's a challenge is if you have to say every single word to yourself, you can only read as fast as you could speak. That means your reading speed is limited to your talking speed and not your thinking speed. And that that's that's the real culprit, you know. And so, you know, I would experiment using your left hand to help stimulate right side of your brain because the left side is the subvocalization. That's the words, the sounds that you're saying. But the strong readers, they're more whole brain 
And so what I mean by that is like recently somebody came up to me on the street and said, Jim, I went to your online speed reading course. Amazing. I recently reread a book that I read, you know, during your course and it was totally different the second time. I was like, what book was it? And he said, it's the old man in the sea. And I was like, how is it different? I don't think Hemingway updated the book recently. How is it different the second time? He said, the second time after learning this stuff, I felt like I was in the book. I could hear the ocean waves. I could feel the sand beneath my toes. He said, the one thing I didn't like was the smell of fish. And that's a right brain imagination area. And this is like a big summary, like, you know, 30,000. I mean, obviously brain science is a lot more complicated than that. But I'm saying possibly using your left hand will activate more of your right brain, will help you picture things. Basically, instead of just saying the words left brain, you're experiencing the words right brain. Jim, this has been so much information. I honestly could keep asking you questions. We might have to do like a second visit at some point. But thank you so much for giving and sharing all this information and and your your story and and so on. So uh, again, I really appreciate you coming onto this podcast. Yeah, I would lo- I would love to be able to share in future ones. We actually made some really great memory training videos for your people if they want to if they want to go online and be able to access them as my gift. What, what's as, the What's the URL? It's just uh, freememoryseminar.com. I, I made three videos for you on how to remember names because that's a big one for a lot of people and deeper in the accelerated learning and speed reading. Freememoryseminar.com and. Uh, it'd be my gift. So thank you so much. And I also want to thank everyone who's listening still, because if you are, you're, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to thank them as well. This is uh this is great. So Jim, thanks so much. And I will uh, definitely talk to you soon. I love it. Thank Bye. you so much for having me. For more from James, check out the James Altucher show on the Stansberry radio network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.